Welcome to Scent 315. We're here to encourage and equip Christians to engage in the adventure of sharing Jesus with those that God puts into their life. And we're so glad you're here. Matthew. Hi. It's 2024? It is. Season four. Season four. Woohoo! Man, wow. blown away. Can yes. you believe that? Mm-mm. Man, oh man, time does really fly. I, I feel like I didn't know I could get rusty when you've done 150 <laughs> episodes, but yeah, it's been a little bit since we've recorded, but I'm so excited for this. Yeah, one. we loaded it up because I had surgery last year and mm-hmm. knew that I wouldn't be on the top of my game to say the least yeah it was so much fun and Brittany, your yeah. daughter now is famous yep. all over the world <laughs> the doctor of math no. <laughs> this has been so fun and i've got to tell you something as an introduction to our guest i want you to know that this person that's coming on to share with us a little bit was a, a very hard trivia question answer does that make sense? The way saying that answerer, she was the answer oh. to this. Oh, hey Matt, of all the pastors and their wives, we were at a retreat. I think is when this came up. Who do you think of all the people at Foothills that are pastors' wives? Who was the last person to smoke a cigar at San Quentin? <laughs> wow. Okay, <laughs> I would never have guessed. Your first guess is Linda Hoffman. Right yeah, off the right, bat, right, right off the bat. Course, we always yeah. go there. Diane Cook. <laughs> Who was really your first guest? Oh, it would be a pastor that went to share there because I've been to prison, yeah, not forcibly most of the time, <laughs> but I've been there. But I haven't smoked a, smoked a cigar. No. I've never been to San Quentin. That's crazy, Diane. Why don't you just start there? What were you doing in San Quentin? Were you visiting? Were you residing? And how did the cigar thing come up, well, Diane we Cook? Co- we were vi- hello. We were visiting my brother David, and they had family overnight weekend visits. And we would bring him all his favorite foods and a box of cigars. And I'd never smoked a cigar before. And so I thought, why not in prison? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, why not? (laughs) And I haven't done it since because you're not supposed to inhale. You're just supposed to put it in your mouth. But that's how I ended up smoking a stogie in with my brother. I love this story, especially if you think you know Diane. You go, I know. You I don't know, know Diane. I'll try almost anything once. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And it's fewer and fewer things now as I season, as I age, I think there's fewer and fewer. Because I remember jumping out of airplanes and doing other things, many of which will not be aired on this podcast. <laughs> I want to really start with. First of all, there's a lot of people who don't know you, people that don't go to Foothills, Mm -hmm. but you were married for how many years to our good friend Michael Cook? 27 wonderful years. Man, very special times, but let's go back way before that. Give us a glimpse into your childhood and your upbringing, because I know there's some really interesting things there that people probably don't know about. Well, I grew up in Carmel, second oldest of six kids. So I have an older sister, three younger sisters, and a brother, my little brother, David. And I grew up in a place called Mission Fields, in the shadow of Carmel Mission. We were Catholics, so I went to First Communion at Carmel Mission. And then in about 1971, my parents got involved in the Charismatic Renewal and started hosting Charismatic Renewal prayer meetings in our living room from the time I was like 10. So for about three years, we would go to Catholic Mass Saturday night and then have the prayer meetings Friday night. And then go to Assemblies of God, (laughs) tongue-speaking Sunday morning. Boy, there was such an amazing move of God in the the Jesus movement. It just was amazing. 
And so where did it go from there? Eventually, we left the Catholic Church and went to PG Assembly, and there was a big difference going from Catholic Mass. Yeah. So I got baptized in water and got born again, and then I ended up about 14 years old. I realized I didn't want God on their terms. I wanted to find my own version of God, mm. so I unfortunately did my three and a half years of backsliding during high school and then just dabbling in certain different things. Sure. And my mom, when I was senior in high school, 17, she and my dad were wanted me to go to this evangelist, Dr. Eby. He had died and gone to heaven, fallen off a building or something, cracked his skull, went to heaven. And he, they were taking me to that meeting. And my dad got sick, and I wanted to go to a party that night. And I begged and pleaded and gave my mom so much stink that she was like this close to giving in. But I went, and God knocked me down. I was on the floor for 30 minutes, mm -hmm. and I came up with a new heart. Wow. And yeah, and it was like, I really believe that night, it was 1979, that the battle for my soul was raging because the mm -hmm. enemy was Amen. wanting me to go this way, and God wanted me to go this way. And It sounds like, you know, John Hoffman's uh, ever since then moment. Uh, when we had him on the show, it sounds like that. Okay, ever since this point, my yes. life has never, ever been the same. Yes, Jesus was my God then, not my parents. God. Yeah, which is really important because God doesn't have grandchildren. It doesn't work that way, right. right? So I remember hearing just a little bit about you growing up in the mission field or spending time in the mission oh, field. Yes. So at what point did that happen? I went to a youth with a mission. So when I was 20, I went to the first school in uh, Kona, the King's Mansion, beautiful facility, Kona, Hawaii, and you, you do your discipleship training school. So you raise your own funds, three months of learning how to give your testimony, how to share your faith, pan pantomimes and dramas, and then you have your three-month outreach, and we were in the red light district of <laughs> Honolulu. Wow, okay. <laughs> Sharing our faith, and you do that for six years, changed my life, so I went back home for another year to work up the money to get the next tuition for School of Evangelism, the SOE. And so when I was 22, I ended up in Japan from my Japan, Hong Kong, Korea, and Taiwan for my three-month outreach. And when I landed on Japan soil, I felt the Lord say, I want you to stay in Japan. So oh, I was wow. 22, so I said, okay. And so I was in I like Osaka. people like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and my parents were super stoked. They were... 100% behind me, and my family helped support me. And then I ended up t making money teaching uh, English as a second language. Okay, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was there for eight years. So I was I was a youth on the mission for about two years, and then I left to go to Yokohama with some other friends to start a, missionary, a Christian missionary school for missionary kids and Japanese nationals. So I did that for six years in Yokohama, Japan, Yokohama Christian Academy. Man, oh man. I'm, what are what are some of the, the experiences that you had in that? Because there's so many people that just cannot comprehend full-time missions ministry. So what, what, was, what are some of the things that you remember from that season of your life that were really impactful for you? I think just they were hungry when we, we dethroned their God because the emperor was their... God, mm. and they were asking for missionaries at the end of World War II. Well, nobody wanted to come because everybody hated the Japanese because mm. they bombed. So what? The, what? So they were begging for missionaries, and instead, they got capitalism. They got the American dollar. They got 
So unfortunately, hmm. they're still one of the end 1% unreached people groups. But the younger generation, they just, they loved everything American. And so they would giggle, they would come and they'd want to go to our coffee shops and talk with us. And we would share our faith and share Jesus. And they wanted to practice their English. And it was just a wonderful time. I'm still surprised I did it in my early 20s. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. I've gone on short-term mission trips all over the place. And um, it is amazing to see the innocent hunger and passion for Jesus. It's just like the Bible says, he's new every morning mm -hmm. and people are hungry for him. Yeah. And it's just amazing when you, like I used to take my kids down to Mexico to orphanages that we were supporting down there. And just so they would know there wasn't a McDonald's on every corner and to know that there were people that were living very differently. And that's why they're pretty much all in ministry today to one <laughs> right. extreme or another yeah. Yeah, because wonderful. they get a taste for that and the, and the reality of God outside of all this hustle and bustle and capitalism that we, we live with today. When did you bump into that six foot five <laughs> hunk of a man? When I turned 30 in 1991, I felt the Lord say, go back home and study desktop publishing. Because I was wanting to be a real missionary. I wanted to go to a, the Amazon jungle and live in a treehouse. Instead of being a fake missionary over in Japan. Yeah. Right, it's yeah. Because you have, it's a first world country, right? Flushing toilets, running water, okay. electricity. So okay. I wanted to go try something. And so I went and moved back in when I was 30. So it's like, here I am 30, moving back in with mom and dad, going to community college, studying desktop publishing. Because I was thinking I would make tracks and reading material because they don't have the Bible and literature in their language. Mm -hmm. So that was what I thought. Okay. Mom and dad went to Selena's Vineyard, which was about 30 minutes from Carmel, and Michael Cook was the associate pastor at that time. Whoa. And he was also the gym dealing that he oversaw the home fellowship pastors, okay. which my parents were home fellowship pastors. And Michael's mom had already passed away, so he asked my mom, Beverly Upham, can I call you mom? <laughs> so he knew my mom and dad before he knew me. <laughs> Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard stories about those days in Salinas. I'll botch it really bad, but just being so on fire for Jesus running down the street <laughs> at night, <laughs> shouting. I, I just, yeah. I, it just seems like it was such a fresh, raw, raw. unbridled yeah. time mm -hmm. to be in love with Jesus. Mm. Yeah, so then I wanted to be a real missionary, right? And I didn't want to be a pastor's wife. <laughs> really, who does? <laughs> and I was telling Michael, yeah, that I wanted to be a real missionary. And he said, don't put God in a box. You can be a missionary yeah. anywhere. He finally wooed me to the point where I said, I do, 1995. And he promised to keep our marriage alive and exciting, which he definitely did. And then I became a missionary to hurting couples and hurting yeah. families. Because for here at Foothills, 22 years, we did the counseling. Yeah. He was the counseling pastor. So that was my mission field. Yeah, and that that was an amazing season. I was there for a big chunk of it, right? And I'm amazed by the people who serve in counseling mm. because it's not all happy joy no. every single no. day, right? I get a lot of happy joy. I get some troubles, too, in the position <laughs> that I have pastoring sometimes. <laughs> sometimes there's tricky business. But many times I get to say yes and help be a bridge for resources and things like that because we have such a generous congregation. Yes. But what's it like six hours a day 
walking with people through hard things. I just can mm. you describe it a little bit because I'll try. Yeah. It's kind of the agony and the ecstasy when they get it and they realize what they're believing is a lie and they end up embracing the truth and you just see the shackles fall off and the peace. Then it's like, ah, oh, thank you, Lord. This is why I'm doing it. But when you can tell they're resistant and they just want you to take away their pain, they don't want to repent. They just want the pain gone. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. And so it's you want it more than they do. Mm. That's hard. Yeah, oh man. You guys did a lot of things. You did a lot of classes, writing. I have a couple of Michael's books. <laughs> you studied publishing. And you, you made everything that Michael did better. Okay, when you guys were working together, you could just see you woven into the equation. I don't know if I've ever told you that, but I've always respected that part of it when you, you were ministering together. Um, have you written uh, yourself individually, or are your fingerprints all over the books that I've gotten from Pretty Michael? Yeah, I w pretty much. I would look up the scriptures. God would give me scriptures to fit, and I would do the proofreading before we did the final, send it to the editor. How many, how many books were there? I know the well, practice the of the presence of God was redone. In fact, mm -hmm. you guys did it a couple of times. Twice, yeah. And anybody that wants a copy, I have them. I will give them to you for free while mm -hmm. supplies last. But there were other ones as well, right? Well, the, just the little forgiveness workbook and then yeah. the, the different classes, which weren't really books, but... Yeah, um, yeah, but a lot of curriculum and stuff like that. A lot of training, curriculum, like that, yes. For sure. And I would help make it simple because Michael wanted to say so much... Mm in so many words, and I would, my eyes would start glazing over. <laughs> Sounds like me and my wife, <laughs> very much. These days, how long has it been since Michael's passing? A little over a year, so it was last year, no September. Way. Wow. Yes, it's been a quick year. Yeah, it sure has. What's the Lord been doing with you and teaching you, and what are you learning these days? The main thing I'm learning is God is our source. When I was married to Michael, I loved being married. I called him my man of peace. He was my security. I would start getting wound up, and he would bring me back down to earth <laughs> in his calm way and providing through foothills. We lived on one income. And since he's gone to be with the Lord, his promotion, I'm realizing so much more that it, it's always been the Lord. Yeah. The Lord is my man of peace. The Lord is my husband. The Lord is my oh. provider. He just used Michael and Foothills and those kind of venues, but it's always been him, and that that is just so true and real. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Can you share with people what it's like to live on a boat? <laughs> because when you guys moved out of an apartment that was, where was in, it at? It was in Lakeside. In, in Lakeside. Across from Linda Lake. That's right. I, I mm -hmm. was there. Yeah. And you went through some thought process and thought, oh, I think it would be cool to live on a boat. It was Michael's dream. Okay. Because he... When he was running from the ministry, he joined the Merchant Marine Academy when he was 18, and he wanted to be a Merchant Marine and live on a boat. And he would go sailing, weather permitting, every week. And so when he was approaching 60, I had no idea of this dream. He just called me one day. I was up by Yosemite with my family, and he said, let's just sell everything and buy a boat and live on board. And my parents, my mom and sister still remember the look on my face. But then I thought about it. I'm like, oceanfront property was my dream. <laughs> Living on a boat was his dream. And there's no way as a pastor in San Diego, as generous as Foothills is, yeah. <laughs> that we could live on oceanfront yeah, no. property in San Diego. I said, I want to learn how to sail. So I took sailing lessons. And then I finally said, let's do it. 
And I've always been a minimalist because living in Japan is yeah. very minimalistic, small spaces, and then and being a missionary. And we always lived on one income with Michael. So we did that on purpose, you know, one car, one income. So that required living Less. minimal. And yeah. I love it. It's not for everybody because you can't have 50 pairs of shoes and matching purses. <laughs> yeah, but you have a lot of Star Wars videos. <laughs> you know what? I would never know. Like, you're not, it's not like you're lacking anything on the outside no, visibly. It's, really, it's, a, it's a cool, I mean, it's a uh, culture, a community. Oh, yes. uh, you know uh, everybody uh, yes, down there. Yes. Yeah, the marina community, yes, absolutely. Yeah. wonderful community. And it's the best of both worlds because there's some of us that live on our boat or a member of the Yacht Club, Coronado Cage Yacht Club. They're believers. One friend, he goes to the All People's Church, and so I'm okay. always saying, we're praying for you. How's the building coming along? That's so cool. Yeah, right Johnny, on. yeah. And then there's another class that are not Christians, they're not believers. A lot of them are nice. They're sure. very generous people, but they don't know the Lord. So I get the best of both worlds. They sure. know they know me, and they loved Michael. He would do the invocations for certain events at the Yacht Club. Yeah. We would have him pray. Well, and it's it, like with everything. I was just reading today about uh, Bloom Where You're Planted and Mark's mm -hmm. devotional, Mark Hoffman's devotional. And it's a community. I know my neighborhood. I know Cheney Street. I know the neighbors. And I know as much as they'll let me into their life or want to keep me out of their life. Right. But it, it's a true neighborhood. And I think those are getting lost these days. People don't know their neighbors. People aren't involved in the lives. But you guys help each other. Mm -hmm. There's stuff going on. You really do live life together in yes. that yes. community. Close. You introduced me to somebody, and I want to get to this point. So many people think, oh, you're a missionary, oh, you're a pastor, you're a professional Christian. I couldn't do what you do. But you introduced me to one of your friends at the church. I think the first time that she visited there, maybe first yeah. or second time. You had been sharing Jesus, and I want to know what that looks like. How do you share Jesus with people? how you're built, and what happened with, what's her name? Lisa. Okay, with Lisa. What happened with Lisa? We had just been loving on her. She had moved onto her boat with her husband, and we were just loving on her. We'd see her at the brunch and join at their table, and she was interested in spiritual things. So she was very spiritually aware, but she didn't know Jesus. And the day that Michael had his stroke that he ended up dying from, that day, because she'd wanted to come to Foothills, but that day, she was coming to the boat to watch Foothills Live on the computer with us. Okay. Oh. And he was writing out the spirit song that John Wimber wrote, Let the Son of God Enfold You with His Spirit and His mm, Love, Let yeah. Him Fill Your Heart. He was personalizing it for Lisa. Oh, Son of God, come and fold me with your spirit and your love. So he oh. was writing it out when he had the stroke, and then the pen went and dropped. And so when Lisa and I took him to the VA hospital... But that, that was so when she found out about that and I gave her that paper when we started having lunch and just telling a little bit more about Jesus, she finally came to Foothills. <laughs> and that was when we had the baptism that. Uh, the spontaneous they, baptism? Yes, that there was somebody that, that wow. didn't make the class and they wanted to be baptized. <laughs> right. And Lisa was just jumping up and down in her seat saying, I have to go down there. I have to go down there. I'm thinking. Usually you take a class and, you uh, and they make sure that you've... And you know what it's about and why you're doing it. That yes. was such an amazing day. Uh, it was. Oh, yeah. So she was one that just came. Yep. And Pastor Dave Hoffman said, I think, the, only for the second time in the history of the church, by the way, mm -hmm. that this happened. He said, I think that there's some other people that need to be baptized today because one of my buddies, she was out in the lobby and she was crying. And she told Gabby Merlot, hello, Gabby. 
who was hospitality director then, hey, I, I really need to get baptized. I think the Lord is telling me this. She runs to me. I say, hey, Dave. So she gets baptized first, and then Dave just hears from the Lord and says, I think there's a bunch of you. The need to get baptized. It was like 15 or 12? Oh, there was oh six, it was like 60. 60 to 70 people. Somewhere yeah. over 60 people got baptized, and only 15 were in the class. So way more came out yeah. than oh, were in the class. It was gnarly. Yeah. And I'm up there on the, in the, in the front, and I'm watching them, and they just kept keep coming. coming. Yeah. They're coming from all over. And Lisa was one yeah, of them. Yeah. That's so awesome. And then she um, was just in her street clothes too. And they all were. And then <laughs> I'm talking to Nick Wagner, who does so many different wonderful things at the church. He's in head of all the services. And I said, Bro, we need more towels. <laughs> and he goes, I don't got no more towels. And so we had tablecloths. Oh, gosh. <laughs> found, and we were wrapping people up in, I didn't know in that. tablecloths. That was That's such amazing. a spectacular day. If that is her first visit. Yes. The point is, I can understand why uh, she's pretty excited. Yes, yes. And she, I was able to bring her a few more times, and then she brought her dad when I couldn't be there. Mm-hmm. She brought her dad, too. So, she so she's still driving from the ocean out to East County? Well, she's traveling right now. Okay. On the boat? No, driving. <laughs> okay, got you. That's so cool. I can't wait till she hears that she's on the Sent 315 podcast. Let me ask you then, So, is how does the Lord, when you share the Lord with people, how does it usually look? From what I'm hearing, you love them, and you're generous with them, and you listen to them. That sounds diabolical. That sounds like a really good way to do it. Have yeah, you, no, fr- friendship evangelism. Yeah, or the sure. kill them with kindness, or bring them to life with kindness. Yeah, don't kill them. So I'm not a big Bible thumper. Yeah, it's just more being that salt and that light. And then there's been times at the yacht club or just in my life where people are in a crisis and they come to me, and they just start asking questions. Yeah, and they pursue me. I've sown the seeds. So much of the time, the in the people that are listening, every single person that, that loves Jesus. If you continue to act as, like Jesus, be like Jesus as much as you possibly can, when people are in crisis, you don't have to be a licensed counselor to do that. You have to have a loving heart and be prepared to to give what the Lord gives you for them. And you're John Wimber, follower fan mm-hmm. from those days, yeah. doing the stuff too. Yes. Have you seen the Lord back up your your courage with supernaturally words of knowledge and all of that is that happening here, part here of and there yes and yet most of the people we talk to or minister to are christians already yeah except for the yacht club there's not a whole lot of <laughs> we weren't in that environment yeah i remember when i was harassing jim Dealey. i was saying listen how do you get anybody saved dude you li- he called it a Christian ghetto because everybody was Christian. There was no opportunities because most of the people that work at Foothills are Christians. I'm pretty sure. So he joined a gym. He joined a that gym. That was brilliant. Was that yeah. yours? That was brilliant. Yes, he did join my gym. And he had an impact right off the bat yeah. because there were people there that were far from Jesus. And he's a funny, interesting yeah. human being and will listen. People were attracted to that. And he could lift heavy things repetitively. Yes. That was nice, too. Diana, what I'd like you to do is just, I'd like you to share what the Lord's showing you today, and I want you to pray for the people that are listening, because there's so many people that are going through stuff, maybe they've experienced loss, maybe they are just trying to figure out a different transition in life, and I know that you were saying life is a little slower than it was with all the activity and six days a week of counseling and stuff like that. I'd just like you to to share what's on your heart for the people that are listening, and also pray for them. Sure, okay. Well, here's a wonderful 
metaphor. The language of the spirit is visions, dreams, symbols, parables. And so every morning, pretty much, I do a little prayer walk around the Coronado Caves, and I look across Chula Vista, and they're building a resort. And there's three huge cranes, and I consider it the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then there's three smaller cranes, my family, my church family, and my yacht club family. And every day, by faith, I can't tell because I'm 20 miles away, maybe, as the crow flies, but I know by faith that every day that resort is being built a little bit more, a little bit more, and so I feel that's my life right now. And I just have to yield to the Lord, submit to the Lord, because... Same thing happened when I came back from Japan and I was 30. It's like God took the foundation of my life and bulldozed everything off. I had no title, no ministry. I was living with my parents, going to school. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's a big transition. Sure. Mm -hmm. And then so now I'm not a wife. I'm not a pastor's wife. I'm not a home fellowship pastor's wife. I'm me, and I'm a BG, a bonus grandma to... Michael's daughter, <laughs> Hannah, and three wonderful grandkids, and they're my main ministry that I'm just loving on. And when you lose, I don't like to say I lost Michael because I know where he is, yeah, but I did suffer a loss. Sure. So I just know that God is building the foundation of my life. He's not done <gasps> with me yet. I'm just focusing on Hannah and the grandkids, and I'm still involved in peer counseling a little bit and training uh, Don and Joanne and our team, and that's a joy. It's a little bit different not having Michael, but I'm finding my own. You still carry his countenance. And I think, you know, that the peace and that transition, the wisdom of knowing who the source is and that he was always providing for you mm-hmm. and that your ministry and what he's called you to is just as important yeah. in these days as it ever has been, mm-hmm. especially when you're ministering generationally. Yes. I love being with my grandchildren and the things that we can impart. That's why the enemy breaks up families. Yep. Right. And he tries to make everybody fatherless. That's what his destruction and lies are all about. And so that's what we've got to be about is destroying the works of the yes. enemy. Okay, would you mind praying for everybody? Absolutely, I would love to. I would love for you to do it. We thank you, Father, that you are not done with us yet, that we're your worksmanship and created for good works in Christ Jesus, that you've prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So... Like Michael used to say, I just bless those listening that you are his. Let him love you. You're his workmanship. Let him change you and into his own beautiful image. And let him use you to extend God's kingdom. In Jesus' name, I just bless you. Amen. Amen. Thanks Amen. for being here. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. 